Hello and welcome to the Data Dialogue. I'm Mike Fuller, Regional Director of Marketing at Intersystems. Today, our special guest, who I'm excited to be talking with, is Deborah Green, CEO of Usiza. Intersystems works closely with Deborah and her Usiza team, and over the last two years, we have supported several insightful and collaborative webinars together, as well as the important annual Usiza events. In today's episode, we'll be talking about some of the data challenges that the higher education sector faces, hearing from Deborah's viewpoint and sharing insight from a recent Intersystems survey run by CensusWide of more than 150 IT decision makers within higher education institutions. Deborah, could we start please with you sharing with us a brief overview of your role at Usiza? and how you're working with companies like Intersystems to support the use of technology in higher education. Hi Mike, good to meet you. Well, I'm the CEO of Usiza, and Usiza is the professional body for those in digital and IT in the education sector. Essentially what we do is harness the collective strength of our membership, which is both universities and colleges and corporate members such as Intersystems, and we provide them with the tools and services that help them within their professional lives through things such as representation and advocacy, for example to government bodies or to key suppliers. We run a very comprehensive education programme and offer advice and guidance to ensure our members are up to date and well informed. But we're probably best known for providing networking and support opportunities because it's really at the heart of Usiza that we enable the sharing of best practice and ideas and that we provide personal development opportunities and thought leadership for our members. So really as a result of all of that and working with both sides, both the institutions and the suppliers, Usiza builds and represents a strong, empowered community of professionals who connect stakeholders, people and technology, professionals who share their collective expertise to remove barriers to understandings and professionals who thereby transform teaching, learning and research. Very comprehensive and very important. Thank you, Deborah. So I understand in the survey, um, almost half of those who were surveyed were not confident that all the systems within their organisation are well connected to each other. What kind of impact is that like to be having, Deborah? I think it's a common issue that you would find in almost all businesses um, because, of course, like any business, we have a lot of data that we need to, to be able to access. But I often use an architectural theme here. You know, like any town, it grows over time. And you would see any town and city, some really historic buildings, which are very beautiful often on the outside, but perhaps not so fit for purpose for modern uses these days, next to custom-built offices and places of education, which really suits the modern way of living and working. And a, a digital estate is no different. It grows organically with parts of it built to suit a very particular purpose at a very particular time. Some of those systems are on premise, some are in the cloud and connecting those very different types of digital estate is complex and needs special skills to ensure that they're being connected effectively. It's also worth bearing in mind that the pace of digital change is absolutely immense. Ten years is a very long time in IT. And of course, every institution is different. So depending on how they've built and invested in their digital estates will dictate the level of issue that they have. So um, it's no different to any other business. And 
because we're adding new things and we're doing more digitally, the problem now becomes um, how do we link some of those older systems with newer API-based systems, which where, of course, it's much easier to share data. Ah, I'm glad you raised the point of data there, Deborah, and uh, I like your analogy of, of estates. Because uh, when reporting these organisations, they talked about the use of data and the most common use is to inform decision making by the IT department and the rest of the teams there. So it's then followed by research development and research projects, which are about 25%. So how could higher education institutions be using data more effectively? Well, um, I can speak, I suppose, most confidently there from my previous life as a a director of marketing and communications in uh, two universities. Um, We started some 15 years ago now to really try and harness the power of the data that we held on our prospective students. So... um, understanding how they like to consume information, what would attract them to particular types of universities, what they wanted to study and how they wanted to study. And by collecting that information when they were as young as 15 or 16, we could then use that to really help them make strong decisions about the university that they chose. Obviously, I was trying to attract them to my particular university, but there's um, some real ethics involved in this. You do want students who are going to thrive in your particular institution. So, for example, at one place that I worked, we had five different customer personas and we would be able to see which of those customer personas a new potential customer fitted into. And that meant we would deliver information to them in a different way. So five different ways of giving a similar message to make sure that it would truly connect and be received by that student. That was then followed on through the admissions process because we understood how they like to receive information and how they like to communicate with us. So that's just one example of how you can really streamline whole processes and make it much more intuitive for the people that you serve. Uh, And imagine if we could carry that, that insight through to their teaching and learning What we'd learned in terms of how they like to consume information when we're recruiting them could then be used as part of their educational experience. We could have different ways of conveying different educational points to make sure it was more likely to resonate with them. I love the focus on students. After all, that's what it's all about. I'm, uh, I have the privilege of being a governor on a small, for a small university in London. And this relentless focus on the student is, is so important. But what about the staff? What is their, their stakeholders in this? So your colleagues in the university running the university, how are they using data? Well, in in so many ways, I mean, I think we need to go back to the start of the pandemic here and think about what's happened in the sector, because I do think it's been seismic in terms of its impact on the sector. Think back to the very beginning of the pandemic, where university and college staff at every level faced the almost Herculean task of enabling fully remote working for just under three million students, lecturers, researchers, academic leaders and support staff. And that was achieved throughout the sector at pace in March 2020. As one VC put it to me, the IT delivered four, team delivered four years worth of digital strategy in around six weeks. And thanks to the heroic efforts that were made at that time, the sector was able to continue without faltering and millions of students were able to graduate on time as planned. Now, when summarised like that, it seems an easy task. 
But imagine trying to ensure that every member of staff and every student had access to the necessary equipment, the right software on that equipment, the correct licence permissions in place to use that software. Imagine trying to ensure all the staff and students had access to reliable connections, that staff had training in how to use things we take for granted now, like Teams and Zoom, to deliver classes, and that all this had to be done in a secure way that didn't compromise on-premise systems or cloud-based solutions. Just the logistics of getting the right kit to the right people in a COVID-safe manner were complex. Um, And it wasn't just for students and academics, that was for the army of professional support staff, all of whom had to find new ways to deliver core key services that underpin any university or college. But that's what leads me to sort of answering your question. It wasn't in any way a negative experience. Barriers to digital progress were literally swept away overnight as support staff and academics were forced by sheer necessity to adopt new methods and practices and found that things that had previously been thought to be impossible not only worked but were really effective and freed up valuable face-to-face time once that became possible for more immersive teaching and learning. So what did we learn Um, to get to the point of your question, Mike? um, Let's do things like support services. You'll appreciate um, every university is a microcosm of the world that it represents. So there will be students who have health problems, who have mental health problems, who need all sorts of support. And what they discovered was many students were much more much more comfortable accessing those services digitally online. It put a sort of distance between them and the counsellor or the advisor, which made them feel more comfortable, less exposed. So they're using that means the transfer of very sensitive data often in digital formats. So there's the security elements that's around that that allow students to continue to use this medium that they're really comfortable in. But the data has to be shared with several professionals or different advisors. So that's just one example of how things are beginning to change. Um, That wasn't the case before. It'd be one counsellor, one student. And so there was limited need to transfer data. Assessments, you know, a huge amount of work had to be done to to deliver assessments that could be relied on because obviously the capacity for plagiarism cheating when you're delivering assessments remotely is huge. Now, of course, the vast majority of students would never do that, but you have to guard against the few to make sure that the qualification of the many is felt to be robust and reliable by employers. And so there was a lot of work needed to be done to think about how they could do these assessments in a way that was very secure and that meant that the opportunities for cheating were absolutely minimised. Lots of things there, Deborah, that I think apply to many industries. We work closely at Intersystems with uh, the NHS, with financial institutions, retail logistics, and, and we're seeing those repeated themes about remote working, about this connection about the security and reliability. Um, Throughout this, the idea of trust, I think all of these things roll up. The people surveyed highlighted the importance of interoperability and how data is used. Um, You've talked a little bit about that, and you've talked about the pace of change. What we're seeing in other industries is that they're asking themselves, how do we sustain that level of digital transformation? How do we sustain that pace of change? 
Are you able to offer some views from higher education to add to that discussion? Well, I think we, like every business, are having those discussions. There's sort of two themes here. We haven't focused on some of the challenges that the education sector faces. Um, Because obviously, if you're a sort of a Rolls-Royce or a Pfizer-type institution, you need to keep your data safe, but largely for your own use or your company's use. The education sector serves a wider public purpose and is required to make its data available to a much wider group of people and institutions. It's required to provide data returns, for example, to government bodies and departments. And the research done is widely shared for the greater good. And so, you know, research data in particular... um, you know, um, it's highly confidential data that is frequently shared with third parties, other researchers who may be working anywhere in the world. And therefore, there's a huge challenge to make sure that the different systems used in different institutions can talk to one another and can share that data safely, um, often over transnational barriers. So that's one system as part of interoperability that is you know, particularly sensitive and difficult for our particular sector. And another thing that's particularly onerous for our community is the length of time that we need to hold often sensitive personal data securely and in a format that can be shared when appropriate. If you think that the average working lifetime is now well over 50 years and our former students may be required to prove that they achieved a particular qualification or studied a particular module at any point in that working lifetime. We therefore have to keep data about our students and their achievements securely for a considerable time. And that timeline, of course, is longer than the usual lifespan of any digital system or software. So we have to anticipate that key data will be transferred many times during that period. So the interoperability of legacy and new systems becomes all the more critical. So that's just a couple of examples of where it's you know absolutely crucial. But it's also crucial for a strong decision making. And I'm sure that's something we'll perhaps come on to talk about. Indeed. And, you know, what do you use the data for? And so decision making, please share something about that. Yeah, so we've talked about research. Obviously, data is the absolute lifeblood of all research, but we've touched on that already. But let's you know stay on the theme of the changes the pandemic's made um, to try and answer that question, Mike. There's no doubt that recent experience has impacted how we will deliver education in the future. But that requires huge market and data analysis. We're also operating at a time when we know from demographic changes, the number of students is going up. There's a huge growth in 18 year olds in the population. We know the grades they're likely to get and therefore there's likely to be a huge demand for further and higher education over the coming 10 to 20 years. What we don't necessarily fully understand is how the students of the future would like to learn what they'd want to study. Is there a real desire for modular lifelong learning, for example, that they can augment and add to? And I suppose our worry in the sector is a lot of assumptions are being made at the moment, perhaps internally in the institutions, but by government and by other bodies. Uh, But good data would build a much stronger understanding and ensure that the services of the future are fit for purpose and meet a real rather than a perceived need. 
So there's a huge demand for up-to-date data from all of the different systems, all the insight that we can gain, and the ability to share that for the greater good um, of the sector as a whole. I like the way you're putting together again that that idea of connectivity, this data dependence. In fact, I heard someone say that uh, we live in a digitally immersed, data dependent world. So, um, at Insistence, we talk about the concept of healthy data, and we don't necessarily mean data about health. We mean about the quality of data because that obviously informs the quality of decisions. So, looking forward to talking to your members, um, what do you think the, the priority should be for them going forward with this focus on students, this focus on secure, reliable, trusted data? Looking forward, do you think the priorities are clear or how do you see it? I think the priorities are becoming clearer. Clearly, we're still... COVID isn't over for any of us and still there is um, a reactive piece of work that is going on um, and that obviously takes time away from pure strategic thinking. So getting the balance between the reactive and the strategic is a challenge for most universities that they're focusing on and trying to get that balance right. But when they are able to find the space and time to do that strategic thinking, I do think it's going to have to be about making sure that they're harnessing the huge amount of data that they hold to make sure that they have the insight, to make sure that what they think very carefully about where they're investing and about where they're going, and investing not just money, but their resources, their time, their development skills, to make sure that the services that they provide are meeting a very real need in the way that I've just been talking about. The other big area is the increasing reporting burden that's being placed on the education sector and harnessing data is critical to this. Increasingly, universities are asked by particularly government to provide a huge number of returns, returns on students, on graduate outcomes, all sorts of things that governments know universities know and that can help them in planning future services or spending. And they're asking for that data from universities at a speed and level of accuracy that is challenging for our institutions, given all the things we've been talking about this morning. And of course, there's no funding at present to meet that increasing burden. So for me, interoperability of systems and ready access to data is critical in both those areas, you know, of building strong services for the future, but also in meeting this burden of reporting that is going to increase, I think, from government. And of course, like for any business, access to full, accurate, healthy data, as you've called it, Mike, really helps universities and colleges like any business to make strong business decisions about where to invest time and resources. Deborah, that was really useful. Thank you very much indeed. It's great to chat. Thanks also to the listeners for tuning into our latest episode of the Data Dialogue. I hope you'll join us again soon. Goodbye. Goodbye.